Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. First things first, why do we need to have a clear, compelling business case when we're trying to get an idea adopted, an initiative started, a project funded, whatever it happens to be? A business case is essential because it justifies expenditures of time, talent, and other resources. It also forecasts the outcomes that you're going to deliver. Sometimes we get really passionate about our pet projects, and that passion leads to a lot of emotion. A business case allows you to thoughtfully, strategically, skillfully channel all of that emotion and passion. It gives you a place and a framework for directing your energy. And it's that passion and energy that's going to make your case more creative and more compelling. The business case is your thoughtful argument for getting something accomplished. It's a way to convince a decision maker or decision makers that your product or your project is a worthwhile endeavor. Think of it as a way to show that you have an option or even multiple options that meet a need and will serve the organization really well. The needs you're filling can run the gamut. It could be that there's a market demand or an organizational need that need may be at the enterprise level or in your specific business unit. You may be filling a need based on customer, client, or patient requests, a request from an end user. You may have noticed an unarticulated need that will help other end users. You may have insights that address ecological, social, or environmental needs. You may want to spur a technological advancement. You may even want to fill a legal requirement or preempt a legal issue. As I said, the the needs that you're wanting to address are vast. So when you begin formulating your business case, be sure that you're able to clearly identify the need or the why. And this why is important because it's all about outcomes and benefits. It's about creating value that has a sustainable, positive impact. One thing about being a consultant is this. If the client can't clearly see where and how my services are going to benefit them, I am dead in the water. I've always got to be able to tell and show prospects why engaging with me is going to help them solve issues with organizational effectiveness, leadership development, executive development, collaboration, all those things. Even with the leaders that I work with one-on-one, they want to know why they should invest so much time, so much money, and so much energy working with me. I always have to have a compelling case to draw people in. And then I got to deliver on those promises. So let me get back to how you create your business case, your tool for selling your ideas. What's the problem or what's the opportunity? Describe it in detail. Describe the ramifications of letting it go unaddressed. Describe the root cause of the problem, the issue, the opportunity. And be willing and able to go deep. This shows that you've put time into thoughtful analysis and you're not just driven by your emotions or by the hot topic of the the moment. Think of this initial stage as a way to capture the why that's compelling you to want to do the work and invest time in the solutions. 
I think clearly, objectively defining the problem is an essential first step. And it may not even be a problem. It may just be an issue or an opportunity. And along with that, I think you need to have clarity on stakeholders. Who's most impacted by what you're trying to address? I mean, impacted positively and impacted negatively. Remember, there are always going to be people who want to maintain the status quo, even when the status quo is obviously dysfunctional and not serving the organization well. You got to know who the power players are. You have to know who your supporters, detractors, and distractors are going to be. And you're going to need an information and an approach for dealing with each of those groups. Supporters are already in your corner and they need to be cultivate, cultivated to be super strong allies. Detractors are already opposed. They may need to see the light that you're shining in their faces. Um, whether they come along or not, you need to have sufficient information that they want and information that appeals to them. Let me give you a personal example. A CFO was not pleased with the company's engagement with me because it costs money and it costs a substantial amount. He was a detractor. Now, initially, the VP who hired me talked about how much it meant to the executives and how much they loved the work. This is how she was trying to sell her business case to them, to him. I asked her, will you consider appealing to the CFO in a way that he can relate to? And so what she did was she started looking at retention data, the cost of uh, new hires in the key positions I was working with. She gave him information on what members, uh, the client I'm talking about is a trade association, about what the members were saying about the value they were deriving directly and indirectly from this leadership development work. And she was also able to show him how much the costs were actually paid by corporate sponsors and partners. Once she was able to frame it in the ways that mattered to the CFO, their relationship shifted a little bit. It became different. He had a better understanding of the work, why it mattered, and that the costs had clear benefits and that they weren't absorbing all the costs themselves. It was a good exercise for her because she learned how to appeal to the finance people. I don't want to forget the distractors. We talked about the supporters and the detractors. Distractors are the people who are scattered and spread thin and can kind of direct you away from your goal. They're constantly trying to pull you into whatever it is that they're working on. These are the people that you have to say no to. And it helps if you can somehow focus them on your priorities or at least on priorities that align well with yours. If you can't do that, you got to tune them out. You got to tune the distractors out. Push forward and give them just enough information to keep them out of your hair. I've talked a lot about the why and the need, and I've talked about the people that you're going to have to collaborate with. Now let's talk about strategic alignment, strategic alignment. I think any good business case should identify how whatever is being proposed supports and advances the organization's strategy and objectives. Why in the world would any decision maker support an idea that doesn't align with strategy? This is true at the team level, at the department, division level, and at the enterprise level. What it means for you is that you have to know exactly what the strategic priorities are and how what you're proposing fits with them. You can justify an innovation or a project when you can make the link between the intended outcomes and how those outcomes support the business drivers of the organization. You cannot gloss over this. 
You have to go deep and make sure whatever you're advancing matters in relation to strategy. If what you're proposing is too tangential, nobody's going to care. So I want to move on a little bit. There are some people who say that a business case should present alternative solutions. I don't know that I always agree with this. I want you to do what I want you to do. I don't know that I support the idea of muddying the waters with a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, that is my nature. I have sometimes been accused of being overly focused and overly driven. So let's just say that you want to put a few alternatives out there as part of your business case. Make sure none of them are better than yours. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding a little bit here. If you're proposing alternatives, be sure you've researched them, have information on how they can be done or were done well in the past. Assess the feasibility of each alternative. Identify the potential risks and benefits. So now you see why I'm not into all these alternatives, because you could put all that energy into strengthening your case for whatever it is you're proposing. However, now remember I said I'm of two minds on this. However, having alternatives, it does enable you to have discussions with detractors and to be well-informed when you're talking to decision makers. So I guess alternatives are not a horrible idea. If you've presented alternatives, if that's what you've done, now it's time to reveal and recommend your preferred solution. Of course, your solution has to be feasible and in alignment with the strategy. You've got to also forecast the costs and forecast the impact. You cannot know everything, but be diligent in your research so that you can be a strong proponent of your idea. I want to give you an example. Um, a nonprofit was addressing homelessness and decided to purchase several units of housing and use them to house families at risk of homelessness. Now, they were in the homelessness business, not the housing business. They had no experience being landlords. The executive director and board president had convinced everyone that they should essentially become landlords. But what they never considered was the impact, remember we're talking about impact here, and the toll this new role would take on their staff, most of whom were social workers. The social workers now had to do property management work. It was disastrous for a time because they hadn't forecasted impact. Eventually, eventually, they got the help needed to be successful in property management and housing for at-risk families. But I'm telling you, it was a rough go for quite a while. As you're presenting your preferred solution, it's important to be able to identify the wins, the potential wins. What's the ROI? What are the non-tangible wins like brand recognition, employee satisfaction, or other factors that are hard to quantify? Think of ways to validate and substantiate your project. Think about how it's going to enhance performance, productivity. Think about how it's going to improve systems and services. And then you've got to have data on all of that. You've got to be able to compel action in the direction that you want. Your business case is based on ideas and concepts. Yes, yes, yes. But it's strengthened when you have a lot of supporting data. Some of that supporting data can be where similar innovations have worked. Mm, do your research so you know what's viable and where potential lies. But don't make the mistake of presenting a compelling case for an idea with just facts and data. Move to how it could be implemented. Think of ways to test it before full-scale innovation. 
or full-scale implementation. Identify ways to create prototypes, figure out how to run pilots, and then commit to using the data from the initial trials to improve your approach. It really frustrates me when organizations launch huge innovations without testing them on a small scale first. You know you can work out a lot of the kinks if you put time into testing. Be sure your business case includes this testing phase. I need to cover two more elements. Well, three. Costs, timeframes, and risk. When you're putting together your case, you need to know about costs. I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I want to stress it now. Identify direct and indirect costs. Don't minimize your projections. Be realistic and be reasonable in your funding requests. Get data on the budget before or at least during the early stages of formulating your case. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say that they didn't get the dollar info before formulating a plan and then they found out that there were no dollars or there weren't enough dollars or dollars couldn't be allocated like that. I had a really kind of humorous experience with a client who ran out of money halfway through our 12-month engagement. She'd never coordinated with the finance team on how they could expand her budget to pay for the organizational development work that we were doing. She signed a contract with me without encumbering the funds. So halfway through, we had to stop. (laughs) She was so committed to the work that she asked me if I would volunteer my services. Can you imagine... You didn't encumber the dollars and I'm supposed to volunteer. I still laugh about that. Next thing you have to do is timeframes. You have to be realistic when laying out your timelines. Add in extra time for the stuff that goes wrong, for the supplies that don't come, for the people who miss deadlines. Account for all of those things because they are reality. Accounting for all those realities doesn't mean that you won't hold people accountable. You will, and you'll keep them on task. And you'll still acknowledge the fact that things happen. The last piece of the case is the risks. Everything, and I mean everything, has risks. Don't be afraid to identify and explore them. Trust me, your detractors will have already considered every possible risk. Be willing to present a thorough risk analysis and to present ways to manage or mitigate risks. I think it's also very important to identify the risk of doing nothing. Be willing to talk about the risks associated with not making the change, with not launching the project, with not pushing the innovation. Be able to talk about that. I know that this was kind of a longer episode, so I'm going to capture a few points that I want you to remember before I close. The first is that you have to have the why that really motivates you to tackle this issue. Then you got to be clear on the problem, the issue, the opportunity. I think it's also important to identify all of the stakeholders. Who's impacted by this? Because that helps you clarify the need, your strategy, and your approach. Okay, got that done. Now you have to move on to the people. We always have to consider the human element. Who has your back? Yeah, who are your supporters and how can you garner even more support? Who's going to be your ally? And, of course, who are going to be your detractors and distractors? You have to know the players because the people matter a lot. Next is the alignment with strategy. If what you're proposing doesn't align with and advance the strategy of the enterprise, the work group, the department, why are you proposing it? 
don't waste your time proposing things that just feel good to you or look good if they don't matter when it comes to strategic objectives. I already told you I'm of two minds on this thing about presenting alternatives. Sometimes I think you can use that energy strengthening your own case. And at other times, I think putting out alternatives shows how much you've thought about it and that you have the ability to be flexible. Whichever way you go, you still have to forecast costs and impact. I mean, impact to multiple stakeholder groups. And as you're presenting your preferred solution, you have to tie it to the resources, the money, the technology, the the human resources, the full range of resources. And then it's essential to present a timeline. We know this, this is something of a guess, but make an informed guess. That informed guess will enable you to spell out how implementation will take place. And the last thing you have to address are risks. What are the risks of doing what you put forth, the risks of doing nothing, the risks of potential alternatives? All the actions that I've detailed um, in this podcast will enable you to begin building strong business cases for your ideas. And if you're already using good business cases, I hope you got some pointers for refining them. You can sell your ideas. You have the power to make things happen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.